This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Arsenal get back to winning ways and once again find themselves very much back in the title race. It's amazing how quickly things can change in the world of Arsenal after just 90 plus minutes. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk. Back again with you guys for another episode of what is the Arsenal Raw Reaction Show. Joining you every single morning after the game at 8am. Thank you so much as always for joining me and making this a part of your morning routines. If you could drop a like on the video and subscribe to the channel if you're new around here with those notifications turned on so you never miss a show. That would be very much appreciated. Good morning to those joining us live in the chat box. Arasilki, Sweating Merlot, Damien, Glenn, Stevie, Maximius, Nigel. We've got Matt G, Jose, Carlton, Temi, Louis, Amira, James, Franklin and plenty more of you guys and girls as well. Thank you uh, for tuning in. Uh, it is appreciated. And uh, yes, Arsenal back to winning ways. It was a very much needed victory. But not only that, I mentioned in the lead up to this game that not only did Arsenal had to win, but they had to win well. And we did even more than that. Five goals on the day. Three, well, four technically different goal scorers, of course. And we're going to talk about all of that and more. We're going to break down today's game. We're going to go into your thoughts and theories and questions and queries as well in part two. So make sure you stick around for that. But yes, Arsenal five, Crystal Palace nil. And there's plenty to be excited about from yesterday's performance. It was not like what I would describe as kind of a... a, a a thumping display. It wasn't peppering them with chances. It was just when a chance came along for Arsenal, we tended to be quite good at taking advantage of it, which has been something that we have not been so good at so far during this season. The amount of chances that were created, I think the XG was something like 3.6 around that kind of figure and Arsenal scored five goals. Um, so exceeding our XG is something that we are going to need to do on a regular basis if it is um, that we're going to find ourselves um, with any chance, you know, of, of, of winning the league. But a, a 5-0 win is really, really important for Arsenal to build confidence, um, to build assurance in our own finishing. Uh, and for specific performances we saw in the day, it was also a really uh, buoyant display. Gabrielle settled the nerves um, almost immediately with what is a brand new corner tactic. It seems mad to call it this, but... Arsenal have one of the tallest sides in the league with the additions of Rice and, of course, Kai Havertz as well into the eleven. But with existing players like Saliba and Gabriel, Arsenal have, uh, and Ben White, of course, too, one of the tallest sides in the league. Now, we took out one of those tall players in um, Declan Rice, who was um, 
out in the in the wide position and uh, taking the corner himself. And this corner was not like we've seen with um, you know with like uh, the the usual hit to the near post and try and get a little flick on. Instead, it was a lofted ball into the box, which ultimately. Um, saw the ball land around the penalty area a couple of times or or just not the penalty area, just kind of the edge of the six-yard box and create a bit of chaos. And it was um, Gabriel that rose highest to meet the first corner. And then, of course, for the second corner, it comes in high again, this time from Bakaya Saka. And Gabriel's there at the back post, but it was deemed to be, in the end, an own goal from Dean Henderson. Um, but yes, the, the, the corner tactic is certainly something that it's frustratingly simple when you look at it. Why, with one of the tallest teams in the league, have we not been launching these corners high and dropping in to a box where we've got plenty of tall players to try and attack it? It seems that this was something that we should have done for quite some time before today, and it's frustrating in some ways that we haven't done it uh, more up until this point. But... uh, I think we can be very happy about the fact that Gabriel um, got that early goal, settled the nerves, and we were able to kind of build upon that quite quickly with his second goal. And then, of course, the third goal, which came uh, in the second half. Uh, Leandro Trossard getting a goal that obviously was started by a player that we'll talk about in a second. But Leandro Trossard, fantastic finish and starting a game and scoring. This is important for him because, of course, there's been a lot of rhetoric around Leandro Trossard being an impactful player from the bench rather than from a starting position. But he was decent in this game and actually created and was part of a really key move, which obviously led from Gabriel Jesus, who got an assist in this fixture, which is important for his goal contribution numbers as well. And not only that, but the little check back inside, flooring Nathaniel Klein before slamming in the ball into the top left-hand corner was an excellent finish and showcased exactly how ruthless he can be. And you can see from the expression on his face what it meant to him also. It was an opportunity given to him by Mikel Arteta, and he repaid that as well, which was important to see. And I mentioned the player that started off this move, which was David Raya. And David Raya had an excellent game. Yes, there was the mistake which led to that Lerma, that Jefferson Lerma shot, which he obviously saved again really well. He actually ended up kicking his own foot in the clearance, which is just kind of one of those weird errors. It wasn't anything intentional to put the ball there. It was just one of those strange elements where he kicks his own foot. But outside of that little wobbly moment, he had a really good game. He was calm in collecting crosses. His distribution was excellent throughout the fixture. And, you know, I wanted to see Aaron Ramsdale start this game. Aaron Ramsdale was the player that I had in my preview 11. But when Raya comes in and has a game like this, you have to give him his flowers and he deserves it. Um, And if indeed we see performances like this on a regular, consistent basis and Aaron Ramsdale moves on, we're never going to be having conversations about the goalkeeper. It's when there's obviously the, the mistakes and the worrying moments that we end up talking about the goalkeepers in in not so good of a fashion. But it was an excellent performance, probably his best game. I think that a number of people have said this. I see Matt G in the chat book saying, I thought... It was Raya's best game, um, and and I agree. I think it was David Raya's best performance in an Arsenal shirt, and certainly he deserved the credit that he was getting post-match. And then late on, Gabriel Martinelli came on and scored twice, two very similar goals with two excellent finishes. Now, we can all talk about the fact that the pressure was off in these moments, and it wasn't like a goal to win the game, but Martinelli has been a player that has struggled so far this season, not only for goal-scoring form, but for decision-making. And I think that because of that, seeing him pop up in those positions where he's able to run through, hit ruthlessly on the counter and get the goals that he needs to take his tally this season uh, to, I think, uh, double what it already was prior to this game uh, was really important. Yes, it was indeed. He's got four goals now. He had two goals before that during this campaign. His goals had come against Manchester City and then he had one, of course, against Luton as well. But in this game, in just a small cameo, was able to get a couple of goals, which was really important for him. And I think ultimately will do him all the world of good to build some confidence. But now you've got a choice because Trossard's obviously scored in this game. Martinelli's come off the bench and got two goals in a different type of game state. I think that both players have done themselves, you know, are given themselves the best possible opportunity of convincing Mikel Arteta to start either one of them. But you could argue that Trossard's goal comes from him starting and Martinelli's goal comes from him coming off the bench. So there is a, a caveat, I suppose, that may suit the starting positions of both players for now. And then when we face against Nottingham Forest, 
next week. Um, well, yes, uh, the week after next, in fact, we're playing on Tuesday. We're not playing next weekend. Then we might indeed have an opportunity to uh, to get something in that regard. Uh, now, Smith Rowe, of course, came off the bench and uh, I thought contributed quite handily. It wasn't like a a storming substitute performance, but I liked how direct he was. I like how calm he was. He seemed to just kind of take on the occasion as it came to him. And there was a couple of decent passes and a couple of good moves. And, you know, he's, I, I like the energy that he brings to the team. And I, I love the reaction that we got from the crowd. It was arguably the loudest noise of the day. And we had five goals to celebrate when Smith Rowe came off the bench. And I was glad that he was given that opportunity. Kai Havertz, of course, who replaced was, was okay, so a decent game. Nothing really too much to write home about from from Havertz. But Smithrow came on as a different style of player and, and was more direct in what he wanted to do. So, yeah, Smithrow. I'm glad that he's here. I'm glad that he's staying. He doesn't need to go out on loan for the rest of this season. We need to keep him because he's going to be a really important option for us moving forwards. Now, the last point I want to touch upon before we go to part two and tackle some of your questions was really the only downer other than, of course, the potential injuries. Now, we heard from Mikel Arteta after the game about Declan Rice and Gabriel said they were muscle problems. It didn't seem to be too serious and they were just taking precautions. We'll hear more about that from Mikel Arteta in his press conference ahead of the game against Nottingham Forest in just over a week's time. But the main issue for me on the day taking aside the potential injury issues was the atmosphere inside the stadium. I was at the Emirates yesterday and it was probably, I would argue, in a game in which we are winning, the worst atmosphere I have ever experienced at the Emirates Stadium. And that might come across as quite a pointed and to some maybe an exaggerated claim, but I really don't think that it is. I really think as in terms of a game that we won, I think it was the worst atmosphere I've ever experienced. Now, the Ashburton Army did their absolute utmost to try and change things throughout the game, constantly with their drumming, constantly with their chanting and their clapping, trying to encourage those around them. But ultimately, besides a group of supporters really around them in the clock end, there was not much um, in terms of a response from much of the uh, the crowd whatsoever. When um, North London Forever came on, you could pretty much hear Louis Dunford's singing more than you could the fans. Um, there was a real nervousness about the game beforehand and an expectation, if you like. Um, it was it was poor. And I would challenge people to come up with a worse atmosphere than what we experienced yesterday. There were times where um, the Ashburton Army and the Clocken were attempting to get the back and forth with the North Bank going, as they do throughout the games every single week. And I counted three attempts where it was tried to get the back and forth with the North Bank chant going, and it failed three times. And the only time that actually worked was a period in the game where Jefferson Lerma... Um, was down on the field and it was very quiet and then they started the chant and eventually the North Bank got involved. And that's not to say that the North Bank are at fault or whatever, um, although you could probably argue that they were in that case for that specific chant. It just, it's very, very poor um, at the Emirates at the moment. Now, I've had phone-in shows on this. I've had some horrific opinions about this topic. What I would say is that I think maybe I've not personally given the Ashburton Army enough credit um, I was giving, I was speaking to um, Charles Watts yesterday uh, in in the uh, in the lounge, and we were discussing about the fact that the the, the allocation being cut from about a hundred to about fifty um, supporters. I'm not sure if that's the exact numbers, but I think their allocation was cut in half. It's, it has had an impact, and what I mean by that is that where I've kind of seen the light, if you will, on this one is just the difference that fifty people can make now. I think that there needs to be discussions about the atmosphere in the Emirates this season. Yes, I think there is absolutely reasons as to why that atmosphere has been affected. I still do not agree that the ballot system has anything to do with the fact that the atmosphere has been affected by this because at the end of the day, we have to look within. There are 40-plus thousand season ticket holders inside the Emirates Stadium and it's nothing to do with the ballot. Those fans go every single week and we need to be looking at ourselves to generate a better atmosphere. But... There is also something to be said about if we can expand the influence of a group that wants to improve the atmosphere. Yes, there's been question marks about the group that you can read and find articles of online for sure, which I have questions about as well um, and would be willing to, to have conversations about as well. But the positive influence of this group that they have on the atmosphere cannot be denied nor underestimated. And I think I'm certainly guilty, and I'll hold my hands up, of underestimating that 
impact on the atmosphere. Um, so I hope that the atmosphere improves. I think the number one reason as to why the atmosphere is as poor as it is this season is because of the expectation changes in the ground. Last season, we rode the wave of that title challenge that we had that was, com- that was a complete surprise, and we were buoyed by that. This season, there's just more expectation that Arsenal should be winning games. But we're not entitled to anything, and we inside the stadium need to be better than that. And I know that this comes across from a little little bit of a privileged position, perhaps, in terms of me sitting in the press box and observing this more than being able to get involved. And I understand why that might not come across to everybody in the best way. But just know that it is coming from a very genuine place. And it is a place that I want to see the atmosphere inside that stadium rocking as much as we can. Because there are going to be games like the Liverpool game coming up. I was at the FA Cup game against Liverpool and it was a good atmosphere. But for a game in of such importance, I felt, I wanted more. And yes, of course, the allocation of the of the Liverpool supporters has increased for a cup game. But when Liverpool come and visit the Emirates at the start of February next month, we need to have the absolute best noise and best atmosphere we can. So I hope that it is addressed. I hope that it's talked about more. And I hope that there is something done to try and improve the atmosphere inside the stadium um, going forwards. Because the Ashburton Army, what they do in the ground in regards solely to the support side of things, you know, has certainly, I think, been affected by the lack of numbers. But whatever the explanation is behind that cut, maybe there needs to be more said about it um, and more clarification and clarity around that um, than we've heard. Because I think that there is an argument that um, their their allocation being cut has indeed, you know, had an impact on things this season. And, and we talked about that uh, yesterday in the press lounge. Um, right, let's move to part two and your questions right after this. Okay, Uh, let's jump into the chat box, shall we? And try and tackle as many of these questions as we can. Um, I imagine there's lots of your thoughts um, uh, in the the atmosphere side of things, so we'll we'll tackle some of those. Manu says, the Emirates this season has been a library. It's a disgrace. Uh, Alexander Bryant says, fans have short memories and were very nervous. It was nervous yesterday. It felt nervous. But even after we scored... Even after we scored the second, it only felt like when the third goal went in that the noise started to ramp up a bit in the second half. There's such a nervousness about Arsenal right now, and I think we obviously need to build that. It is, I always say that the number one factor in the atmosphere is always going to come from the players, of course. And a brilliant atmosphere never guarantees you a result. It can have an effect, I think, you know, in certain moments on how things can, can change. But if the crowd's nervous, I think that does translate to the players. I think the players feel like they're playing in a cauldron of glaring eyes rather than a, a, a cauldron of noise that is of support for them. So it's, it's a, it is a frustration. There is worries for me about the atmosphere this season. Um, BX Gunner says the atmosphere only really came alive last season and before then it's been dead for years. And this is true. Last season, I talked about the fact that the atmosphere um, was buoyed by last season's title charge as a primary reason. Now, the Ashburton Army and other groups that have tried to improve the atmosphere in the stadium certainly have a factor in improving things last season. But the number one reason as to why the atmosphere was so good was, of course, because of the performances that we were putting in last season and where we were in terms of a title race. If indeed we're able to kind of pick up some form, we beat Forest. who knows, beating Liverpool would be massive then we might find ourselves in a very, very different position. But we can't be so entitled to expect this team to win and not put in the effort ourselves when we're inside that ground. Uh, Paul says, the quality of football also makes a difference in the same way players feed the fans. The fans also feed off what they're seeing on the pitch. And I agree to an extent. But I think from it shouldn't be a case of we watch the game, Paul, for 10 minutes and decide whether or not we're going to give our 100% energy as fans in the stadium to the performance. If anything, it should be from minute one. It's not that the players are going through an evaluation about how much support we're going to give them. That, that for me, is, is, is the big thing. Clubs as people are just nervous. It will take time for the recent scar tissue with three defeats to leave us. Liverpool will be rocking. I hope that it is, Clive. But what I would argue in response to that is that I don't think this is an atmosphere that has been an issue 
just before this poor patch of form. I think this is an issue inside the stadium in terms of the atmosphere that has been perpetuated throughout this season and even from the first few games of the season as well. So I would argue that it's not just about the, the scar tissue of three defeats. I think there's been problems way before we hit that festive poor patch of form. Uh, Amira says, the players that we've dropped due to form always come back better than before. White, Martinelli, are we now in a place where dropping players would be more beneficial than trying to play them into form? Not always, but certainly there's a factor in that. And I think there's it's worth the correlation that you've brought there um, and brought to the discussion. Because I think when a player is dropped, Martinelli is a good example today uh, or yesterday. We saw him come back and do quite well. And I saw him come off the bench against Liverpool. And I think he did quite well as well in that game. One of his more sprightly performances too, despite not being able to impact the game directly. I think that certainly that dropping players at certain times and bringing them into the eleven will improve things. Zinchenko, of course, has been out, injured for a little bit, Kivior, but it was also, I believe, dropped um, as well. I think he would have been dropped um, had he have not faced that injury. I think he was better. I think his performance was good. I think he provided plenty of... Um, uh, kind of the distributions. Yes, there was a, a loss of possession in the middle where he played a blind pass and, and that should be addressed. But overall, I thought Zinchenko's performance was encouraging on the day. Uh, Rob says, I wonder what the stats were like in the comparison to the games that we've lost. I wouldn't be surprised if they were better against Liverpool. Well, the XG on the day, according to XG philosophy, Arsenal had 3.84 XG, scored five goals, 0.35 XG for Crystal Palace, who were very poor, it has to be said. They weren't very good, uh, Crystal Palace, but we made them poor in what we did. Um, Paul says, is it true that the Spuds ground is the seating area mic'd up to increase the atmosphere? If so, is that something that can be introduced to Arsenal? I don't know is the answer to that. I don't know. I do like the idea of more organic noise being created by supporters than more artificial. It doesn't come across too great if you're seeing noise played through speakers. But I can see why maybe they would do that if there has been always a concern about the atmosphere within the Tottenham ground. Um, Dan says, my concern is that, yes, we executed when we had chances, but I still get the feeling that this is an overachievement and can just go as quickly as it can back to normal. But Rice on corners, yes, I'm a big fan. And Dan, unless we get further, you know, encouragement, further evidence to suggest that this is not just a one-off, of course we're going to feel this way. Of course we are. Um, we are going to feel as though that there is a um, a frustration that things can go back to normal very, very quickly. Um, but that will come from the Nottingham Forest game, and hopefully we can continue that. Uh, and Martin says, according to the Premier League stats, I've actually was two, two. Uh, XG philosophy are fantastic with the metrics they use. It's dedicated into providing the most accurate XG numbers around. So I would always defer Martin to uh, the XG philosophy um, account on those numbers because it's a dedicated um, metric and uses algorithms and analyses to, to find out the most accurate model uh, for XG. So I would go with that over the Premier League's measures. Uh, Culture Mark says, Tom, who is your standout player on the match? And then the second best player, in your opinion? Great show as always, Tom. Keep up the good work. Uh, thanks, mate. Um, who was my outstanding? I think Gabriel has to go down as the, the standout performer of the match for very obvious reasons. Um, second to that, you know, I, I enjoyed Leandro Trossel's performance. I enjoyed Martinelli's cameo from the bench, uh, you know, scoring two goals. It really does build confidence in a player when they come off the bench and show finishing quality quite like that. Um, Jesus had his moments. Yes, he didn't really get into too many scoring opportunities. I thought Martin Odegaard was really, really good as well. Um, maybe went under the radar in terms of how good Martin Odegaard was on the day. But his deliveries, his movement, his passing, his little flicks were really kind of peppering that Palace box. Um, Declan Rice, for his performance before coming off the field, was also, again, very good. Helped to recycle the ball excellently. And it was his corner, of course, that led to the first goal. And Raya had his best performance, arguably, in an Arsenal shirt, as we've already discussed during this show. So he probably is in with the shout of being second in that uh, line of being uh, um, of, of potentially second up for man of the match. Uh, Damien says, when I saw Rice taking the corner, I was thinking, WTF, get him in the box, not taking them. And then when we scored, I said, always knew that he was going to be great at taking corners because <laughs> we're fickle, aren't we, Damien? And that's how it goes. I didn't even notice it was him on corners. I only noticed it after the celebration. I was typing in the live blog, of course, as I do, that we had a corner and we were leading up to take it. But I didn't even clock that it was uh, that it was Declan Rice that was on those corner opportunities. So I think it was great. 
Alani says, Tom, still waiting for your comment on Havertz's performance. I, I already spoken about Havertz. I said it was decent. It wasn't electric. It wasn't disappointing. It was just a decent 6, 7 out of 10 performance. He kept the play ticking over. There were some good flicks, good movements in his play. Uh, defensively, he did well when he was called upon. But it wasn't anything that I would say was, you know, stand out. It was just a, a decent performance um, from Kai Havertz, but nothing to really write home about. Um, Oki says, I disagree on Odegaard, Tom. He dithered on the ball on the edge and inside the box quite a bit and misplaced a few passes in the first half. By no means a poor performance, um, but not a good one either. I disagree with you, Oki. I actually think in the first half in particular, he was really critical in helping us to suffocate the the Crystal Palace box. If we If we measure players solely on like, uh, if they don't misplace a pass, they've had a good display. For me, it's the intention. I look at the players' intentions in performances. What is their intention on the day? Are they trying to do their absolute utmost to find the incisive passes, to be influential, to find the movement? I look beyond just a few misplaced passes. And for me, Erdogan was really important in trying to really drive us into those positions, drive us forwards, be um, penetrative into the box and himself getting into those areas also. So I think that's a little bit um, vague in terms of a judgment of, of Erdogan's display. Um, so Clive says, morning kickoff, dry January, all contribute to a steady nervous day. Clive, mate, like, sometimes you just got to say it as it is. And I just think that for me, the atmosphere was poor. And I think it's been poor throughout the season a number of occasions. And I want to see more. I don't think there's anything too controversial at all in addressing the atmosphere issue from last season. I think we provided the explanation from my perspective of this season being down on last season because there is an expectation increase across the campaign. But I think there is something about taking ownership and responsibility. We have to be better. We have to be noisier. I thought it was going to be electric and rocking for the Liverpool FA Cup game, and it wasn't. I thought it was going to be rocking for the Manchester United game, and it wasn't. I thought it was arguably going to be more rocking for the Tottenham Hotspur, North London Derby game. I was at all of these games, and for me... It wasn't. I need to see more. I need to see more from the atmosphere. And I don't think it is unfair to call for more on that. And I'd say that there is enough evidence to suggest that this has been a, an issue that has gone and stretched throughout this season. That said, uh, we appreciate Clive's input as always. Uh, BX Gunner says, uh, we were starving for a win, some goals and a clean sheet, and we got them all. Can't complain about anything from that match. Agreed. Like The only, only complaints I've got from the game of the atmosphere and the injuries uh, issues that we might have had. But hopefully those injury issues aren't going to be too bad. Um, it's the, the only moan I've got is on the atmosphere. But overall, the performance we can't moan about, the goals we can't moan about, um, where it's put us in the table, the amount of goals we've scored has really helped us in terms of goal difference. I think we're only three behind. Um, let's have a quick look. We have got 20. Yeah, our goal difference is 22. Liverpool's is 25. Man City's is 25. They both played a game less than us. So let's hope that Burnley, who Man City play on Wednesday, the 31st of January, and Bournemouth, who of course Liverpool will be playing against today, away from home at 4.30. Let's hope that Bournemouth can do us a favour, keep those fingers crossed that turns out to be the case. Um, then we'll see things change. Uh, Mike says, arguably mid-passes uh, often means that we're taking risks rather than safe ones that often lead to better opportunities. Uh, mid-passes. Um, so they, maybe, maybe that's the reason. Um, Clive says, I was at the, <laughs> I was at all these games. Get out the press box. North end of the stadium is fine. You sit near the family and Clive, <laughs> Clive, I'm sorry, mate. I'm surrounded by fans. I'm sorry. And I'm not near, I'm near every, I mean, you're technically near the family and Clive. Oh, I suppose if you're North end, you're not, but the clock end where the Ashburton army is obviously is nearer that little family enclosure. Trust me. I can still hear. I got ears, Clive. I can hear it, mate. And there is not, and I'm not the only one that's raising this issue. Um, it comes across on the telly, which of course has the microphones all rounds down the stadium and, and you hear fans talking about it. And I spoke to fans in the North Bank and the West End, the East End and the clock end after yesterday's game. And they all agreed that there are still atmospheric issues in the ground. Uh, Hussein says, is it just me or does Smith Rowe's body language out of possession look a bit negative? Always appears like he's forcing himself to run back and chase. Um, maybe. I mean, I didn't really notice it, to be honest. Um, I think that Smith Rowe is just that that's that is just his body language he's quite uh he can come across in that way when out of possession which is when he's he looks most electric when he's on the ball so yeah Hussein I, I don't think so uh, Ronald says would Xabi Alonso be a great fit for Arsenal manager is he the next elite coach um maybe but we're not in a position Ronald to be talking about changing managers at all and that said um that said as well 
um, what we talk about regarding kind of the next change of manager and Jabby Alonso. There is an irony, I think, in calling for Jabby Alonso as Arsenal manager. If anyone brings up Jabby Alonso as the next potential coach, there is an irony in those that want Arteta gone but are willing to now go to another project, inexperienced coach in, in Alonso, who's doing a fantastic job, but I think he's got... Real Madrid written all over him in the future. Unknown says, your last live show, you said Arteta has to, has to overachieve in terms of winning the Champions League or league title after he spent £700 million in four years. Chat box. This is the comment we've been waiting for. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. And the same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with Mook Delivery. Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Tell me, how much money has Mikel Arteta spent? You know the answer to this question. You know where Unknown has got this wrong. Tell us. How much has Mikel Arteta actually spent? For those that watched our live show on your all why are you always lying, you'll know the answer to this question. Is it 700 million? No, sirree. So where has this number come from? Where has this number come from? <laughs> I don't know why I rely on my chat box to prove me right all the time because they're more inclined to mug me off. But this time around, they haven't. 590, 590, 590, 590, 590, 590. Indeed. Thank you, Chatbox. Thank you very much indeed. £590 million is the actual number. And yet some people think we've got an extra Declan Rice that we've managed to be brought in uh, during these transfer windows under Arteta. Hilarious. Uh, Darren says, apologies if you've covered it already. Uh, Zubamendi has chosen Arsenal over Barcelona according to Football 365. Not a January move, though, according to the article. Can't say I've seen um, or heard anything along those lines yet, Darren, for me. Um, but... Uh, Mendy would be a really astute piece of business by Arsenal. He's available with a release clause of around 45 million, I think. Um, so if Arsenal can get Mendy through the door in the summer, I think that'd be a really astute piece of business. Rob says Clive is trolling. What's he doing? What's Clive? One billion, says Clive. Yeah, classic. Just trying to wind me up now. That's what he's doing. He's just trying to wind me up. Um, Oki says 590 million is still a lot, is it not? Did Klopp spend the same to get Liverpool winning titles? Just playing devil's advocate, Tom. I'm not our terror out. 590 million is a lot of money. Absolutely. But when the opposition that you're going up against in Manchester City has spent 1.2 billion since Pep Guardiola took over and since Klopp has spent 800 million, of course, since taking over there as well, it's worth pointing out that if we just look at how much has been spent until either of those won a title, it removes all context of the squads that those players and those managers obviously were there when those managers took over. Klopp came into a squad that already had an existing pile of hugely talented players as well. You had Coutinho still there, of course, and they were able to go and bring in significant upgrades throughout season upon season upon season. Whereas Arsenal, we didn't. We overhauled. We had to break this squad apart and then build it back together with new players to get it under what Arteta wanted. Whereas Pep Guardiola's inherited David Silva and Aguero and De Bruyne and then spent £1.2 billion on this squad. And that's what Arsenal is up against. Arsenal are playing catch-up on these two sides. Um, and it's always worth putting that into context. Hussein said, why does it matter how much he spent when you look at the squad overhaul that has been necessary? The issue has always been with how we sell our players. Um, and I agree there's always going to be a discussion about the sale of players, but it's also about how much, what resources we've had around to sell could we have sold some players better? Absolutely. But have we been able to sell players in the same mould? Have we been able to sell the Inketias, Smith Rose, the Ramsdales now, and the Nelsons? That's going to be the measure of their do in the summer is how we sell some of those players. 
which do need to be moved on. Uh, Benji says, if we can add a fit Partey until the end of the season, I could start to dream again, Tom. Benji, me too. Uh, and Partey will be a massive, massive boost to this team. Don't get me wrong. It'd be huge. And I really, really hope that we get that as well. Unknown says, you didn't reply to the point about how it is an overachieving win of the Champions League or the league. Aren't we in phase four? Four years without a trophy is the longest trophy out since 2006 and 2011. Um, I mean, it's not really surprising that it's the longest drought in that period of time when the competition is what it is. But what I would say is that regarding the overachievement, of course, it would be an overachievement to win the league or the Champions League this season because your favourite for both of those competitions, and I know I can say that confidently, everyone's favourite going into either of those competitions was either one of Man City I mean, it's not even either one. It was Man City. And at the Champions League, you might have said Real Madrid. So if your favourite for either of those competitions is not Arsenal, of course it's an overachievement to expect Arteta to win either of those tournaments. Of course it is. Just by definition, it is. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, Next, it says, uh, Tom, did you watch the Brentford game? Tony looks like he hasn't lost a beat. Indeed, he's come back very strongly. And uh, we'll have to see how he gets on between now and the end of the campaign. Is he going to be able to justify that £100 million price tag? As I've mentioned before, if indeed Tony is the guy, I'll back him. And I really hope that he succeeds. I've got my doubts. I've got my concerns. We all know that I do. Um, but whoever signs in the red and white of Arsenal gets my 100% backing and I hope they succeed. I'm not proud enough to turn around and be like, oh, I hope that Tony fails if he joins Arsenal because then I'll look really clever. No, not interested in that. I'd much rather that I was proven wrong and Arsenal succeed. That is always the way forwards from this perspective. Um, let's go to... Um, it's funny that we had two comments back to back about Tony. Rebound says Tony was decent yesterday. Pulling the strings. Still like the look of him. Uh, potentially joining Arsenal. Alvin Mod says, Arteta has already shown that he is the man to bring us back. He's got a striking distance of titles. I mean, it's mad, isn't it, to think about where we were. We talk about the title, the, the droughts are no mention from 2006 to 2011, the, the, the droughts between winning a, a trophy. But in that time, Arsenal were never close to really challenging for a title. Um, you know, as soon as we, we had our invincible season in 2006, uh, sorry, 2004, and then obviously we won the FA Cup in 2005, from that point forward, it got to the Champions League final is what I was talking about in 2006. From those points on, we really did not manage to get close to or ended up being in a significant title race. Once or twice, maybe, we got a little bit close. Um, but ultimately, we have now looked and we have become a team where the expectation is that Arsenal challenge for a title season on season on season. That is what our expectations have become under Arteta. That's where he's taken this team now. Is the expectation is that Arsenal challenge Man City and Liverpool for the title. And, and that is an achievement in itself for me to see where Arsenal are now compared to where they were 10 years ago. It is, it's night and day. Um, Arky says, a deep run in the Champions League and a title fight late into April and May would be probably about right for us this season. If we slip out the top with no trophy, it's a huge disappointment. Oh, 100%. If we finish outside the top four, it has been a deplorable campaign. An absolutely horrific campaign if we finish outside the top four. There's no dressing that up. If we lose to Porto and finish outside the top four, it's very, very difficult to kind of sit there and try and justify, you know, the position of, of saying, yes, we're, we're on the right pathway. Because if that happens, my goodness me, yeah, that is, that is going to be a really, really, really dour period. But as I say, judgments will come in May. No, I'm, I'm not making judgments in January. Judgments will come in May. Uh, Fuad says, Tom, I know you're not versed on the Youth Academy, um, but I've noticed that we don't invest... What do you mean I'm not versed? I've, I've written so much <laughs> about the Youth Academy, Fuad. Um, but I've noticed that we don't invest in our academy as much as other rivals like City aside. If we want to be self-sustaining, surely it needs to be addressed. It depends what you mean by investing, Fuad. Because ultimately City have and have had for years the most money in the league. So they plough money into that academy. And they were able to put more money into that academy. But it depends what you mean. If you're talking about investing and giving opportunities to young players, we've done entire shows on this. I've done entire articles on this. You can go and read that as well. So I'd recommend going and doing that. Um, Mayer says, Havertz and Jesus dived. I don't think there's a need to go down for soft touches, at least not against uh, the likes of Crystal Palace. Mayer, at the end of the day, every team's doing it. I really can't be asked to have a conversation about going down easily because I've seen too many times Man City Liverpool players get given penalties for it. Diogo Jota, Mohamed Salah, it's, it's happened time and time again and they have got them. They've got them. So it's really frustrating for me whenever we go down the route of moaning about our players going down too softly at times. 
at the end of the day, every team's doing it. So if we're going to try, if we're going to say that we should not do that at a principle, you know, I'm not saying players need to dive, but if you feel a touch in the box and it's going to take you off balance, I think players should go down. For me, that's where I stand on it personally. If you feel like it's, it's taken you off balance and you felt that touch and there's enough physical contact that you think there's enough to go down, go down, because everyone's doing it. So why should we be proud enough to not? Um, let's go to Alani. says, people like Unknown don't really remember that we uh, are about to come... Oh, sorry, that we are about to become the West Hams and the Aston Villas of this world, a proper mid-table team. Arteta has changed that, and thank God it happened when it did um, because of all this FFP stuff as well. Absolutely. Uh, Valeria says, um, how about the amount of misses that we've had in transfers compared to the other managers that we've mentioned? Um, could have bought better players the amount that we've spent. Valeria, I think if you go through the amount of money that Arsenal invested under Arteta, you'll find that the numbers of hits to the number of misses in terms of the amount of money invested is dwarfing that. You know, you look at the amount of money invested in players that have been successful for us, and you total all that money up and you compare that to the misses, I'm sorry, but, you know, it's it's night and day. It really, really is. Um, Shane says, why are there so many anti-Arsenal comments? It's it's a fair question, Shane. I, I, it's, it's a struggle sometimes to really understand this. Some people are, some people just like trolling. That, that's that You have to take, there's always going to be the 5-10% of trolls that exist out there. Um, should, do we give them enough credit? Or rather, do we give them too much credit? Do we give them more airtime that they should get? Maybe. I know some people get really annoyed about that. Um, but yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of success to be had about talking negatively about Arsenal. It's very obvious. We do this our way. You know, if you come here, you come here to expect grounded and thought through and well thought out and not hyperbole. Uh, not exaggerative, you know, we're not doing this for the, the clicks, we're not doing this for the views, we're talking about this in a grounded way as if we were sitting with a beer at the pub about Arsenal and trying to be, you know, objective about things. So we're not going to shout and scream because it pulls in the numbers, we're not going to do that, you know, we're going to talk about things as it is, we're going to say it as it is and we're going to explain things with reason and explanation, that's what we do. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's a shame, Shane, that it exists. It's a shame that but you're always going to get that in all walks of life. You get, you know, the spectrum exists for a reason and you're going to get the, um, the chaos at one end. You're going to get the, the over the, the arguably toxic positivity at the other end, which I'm not a fan of as much as I'm not a fan of the, the toxic negativity. We sit in the central, we sit in the middle ground where it is a case of if something is worthy of criticism, we'll criticize it. The Raya Ramsdale situation, the Havertz £65 million investment questions, um, and some games where we could have given youth an opportunity. Um, the in-game management of some games as well that needs to be improved. We'll talk about those things when they come to bite us. We'll talk about things like finishing, you know. Um, but when it comes to the praise, it is that there's a lot of praise to be had. There's a lot of things to be really excited about. There's a lot of things to be really upbeat about. Um, I think that I think that obviously you can tell almost as soon as one. Com- I think you can tell within one comment in a chat box mostly what somebody's about when they leave a comment in a in a YouTube chat box. Um, I think so. So there you go. Um, Oki says, I think you've said before, and I agree that on the whole, Arteta has gotten the big transfers right for the most part. But we spent a lot of cumulative money on a number of cheap, poor ones too. And and you're right, you know. The expectation of perfect recruitment doesn't exist. Uh, no club perfectly recruits every single player. There are always going to be risks. And to be honest, when you sign players that are cheaper, Rocky, as well, that risk of that player not being as good is probably higher. Um, you know, you invest big money in the big players because you expect them to deliver. When you invest smaller amounts of money or you invest in free contracts in players like Willian, Cedric, Marie, Laconga, Tavares, when you're investing these smaller figures in players, there is an expectation that those players are going to be more of a risk because if they were sure bets, they'd be costing you huge sums of money. The big question this season is obviously Kai Havertz and the money that we invested in Kai Havertz. Has that been necessary? Has that been a good spend of money? The answer right now would be if you were to come to a conclusion, no. Could we have spent that money better in the summer? I think if you were to try and come to a conclusion on that right now, the answer would be yes. We probably could have spent that money better in the summer. And I think that right now, there isn't too much controversy in saying that. Come the end of the season, may we have a different answer, potentially. Havertz could have a storm in second end of the season. He could have a really important factor in a Champions League run. And we're talking very differently about him coming into the season. But right now, in this very moment, 
Kai Havertz's 65 million pound investment is in question, and rightly so, rightly so, and should be questioned. Um, so yeah, I think that it's something to be said about the the it's the type of of investments that you have. But if you look at Arsenal's major investments on the whole, of course, Vieira is one of the other ones. There's question marks about. But if you go through the team of Arteta's investments. You know, Ramsdale has been a good investment. I think we'll get a, a profit on him. Raya at £27 million. If we sign him, he becomes our number one keeper and proves to be better in the long run, then that'll look to be a good investment. But at the moment, the goalkeeper situation seems a bit unnecessary to me. Ben White, I think, has been a good investment. Gabriel has been a good investment. Zinchenko, I think, for £30 million was a good investment. Tommy Asu for £20 million, good investment. Um, Trossard for 21 rising to £27 million, good investment. Um, Gabriel Jesus for £45 million, good investment. Martin Odegaard, £32 million, good investment. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting some um, as well. Partey, you know, the thing about Partey is the injuries and his injury record was 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 fine before we signed him. And last season, he played 33 games in a, in a, in a team which ultimately competed for the title. So I'd still argue that the Partey investment was the right thing to do. We had to bring in a top quality midfielder. Declan Rice, £105 million, really good investment. Um, Jorginho Martin, £12 million to provide depth to the squad in the midfield. I think £12 million quid for Jorginho has proven to be a really good piece of move, a really good piece of investment by Arsenal. Arsenal have the three best defensive midfielders in the world as a selection. Um, not as like individuals, um, but as a group of three, there isn't a team in the world that has, has as good of a three that there are. Kivior, there's questions still about Kivior um, at the moment, so I'd still certainly say that the, the the, the jury is out on, on Kivior. If you want to go back before Arteta, you know, you look at Martinelli, you look at Saliba, the investments we made in those players, obviously very good, um, but they were before Arteta's era. Um, so we don't tend to talk about them in giving Arteta's recruitment era the credit when it comes to those players because they were before Arteta came in. Um, but yeah, and you add up the, the amount of money on those players that we talked about as successes, it dwarfs the amount of money spent on the players that we have more question marks about it's like i'd say it's probably at least three maybe even four to one um but yeah it's uh investment in this this team for me has been the biggest reason the biggest reason as to why we've been able to compete for titles alongside Mikel arteta as manager him being yeah i mean the biggest reason is arteta himself but the next biggest reason is um is ultimately that um and then you have people like ghost bella in the chat who says Jorginho is crap which is obviously just I think exposing <laughs> exposes the person who had that opinion more than anything else. Alexander Bryant says, the one that annoys me the most is Vieira. I don't think he's bad, but he completely blocked Smith Rowe. And I think that is a fair uh, criticism, concern. Um, the thing I would say is that Smith Rowe's injuries have not have been of a have been a problem, Alex, before Fabio Vieira arrived. We knew that Smith Rowe faced injury issues. We know that injuries were a reoccurring thing throughout his his his, uh, his youth and into his his early twenties um, and at the twenty year of age mark. And Arsenal, I think, probably looked at that and thought, "Can we rely on Smith Rowe as an attacking midfielder? Do we need to bring another one in?" And I think they've looked at Fabio Vieira, who, to be fair, you know, when you look back at the numbers he was producing at Porto, you can see why he was on the club's radar. I know that he was on no one's radar really before we signed him. But you actually go back and have a look at so it's the one against Liverpool that goes viral on on uh, Twitter when people want to talk about Vieira for a bit. Obviously, it was a fantastic performance in itself as well. But uh, I think there's an argument that because of Smith Rowe's injury record, that we needed to go out and add some depth into that area. Um, but there are still certainly question marks about that. Uh, Dano says, um, uh, "Why do we turn away from overlap? Zinni inverts and bust the gut to overlap and just gets ignored for a cut inside and a blocked shot." Um, sometimes these runs are designed to open space to create passing lanes when two defenders kind of split as one tries to trap the overlap runner. Um, so they're not—they're not turning away from overlaps always. Can we be better with them? Yeah, sure. I think we can add a bit more variation to our play, but those overlaps are actually, I think, more designed about creating space and creating openings for passes to be played into for forwards. It ultimately overlaps put the ball into those wide areas. Overlaps create crossing opportunities more than anything else and the thing about Arsenal this season that's not been good enough is actually how good we are in the direct areas in the central areas between the half spaces 
playing the ball into those wide areas is something that we've not really struggled with. We get the ball to Martinelli, we get the ball to Saka, we get the ball to Trossard in those wide areas relatively often. But actually, we need to be more direct. So if we want to encourage overlapping fullbacks, that's only going to encourage something that we really already do, which is utilise those wide areas. Yes, we could be more um, effective with overlapping like Ben White sometimes does. We could be better with that. But actually, I think the way in which Arsenal are going to succeed and become more potent, become more dangerous, is by being better through the middle. So overlapping isn't necessarily going to solve that, that problem. Um, Game Shot says some people complain that we're not quick enough to pick up young talents like City are and, compl- and complain that we buy players like Vieira. Uh, everyone wants always to be pleased. And, and I think that that creates in itself the perspective that people have conflicting opinions about things when in reality it's probably two it's two groups of people having two different opinions and then it conflates and we think it's people with the same conflicting view man city are a side that have something like 10 odds other clubs under their wing which makes it very easy for them to drive an academy process drive a youth recruitment process globally um we don't have that um, so it's it's very, very different for us. And they're much more likely to find gems than we are because of that process. Um, and that, that is just the way that it is right now until things change. Um, Maximir says, Tom, there's an argument about allowing goals with goalie impediment. Uh, Webb has changed this rule from last week. And you can see why there is that rule change is wrong. Our second goal. What are your views on this? Um Allowing goals with goalie impediment. So I've not necessarily seen this argument. Um, but there was, I think it was someone saying that it was similar to the goal against um, a Leicester, was it when Ben White was holding the arm of, uh, of was it Ward? Was it Ward uh, in goal for Leicester that day? I think, um, I'm not sure there's enough in this one for me. I think there is slightly different. I might be biased, of course. I I, I don't think. Um, but there's claims that Ben White impeded Dean Henderson. I just want to see consistency, to be honest. Like I just want to see consistency across the board. Um, Valerius says, hey, Tom, not necessarily the amount of money we've spent, but the number of players that we've had misses on compared to hits in Mikel's tenure compared to the other managers as well. What I would say to that, Valerius, obviously, when you invest big money in big players like Declan Rice and like Ben White, and, um, of course, Kai Havertz now falls into that category as well as, as a big money player that we spent big money on. Gabriel Jesus is in that category as well at £45 million. The thing is, is that you can only add one or two, sometimes three, big, big money players. And at the same time, you've got to bulk out your squad with depth. So sometimes you're going to have to go and make some cheaper deals to bulk out your squad to find the strength in depth. Because if you don't do that, you will leave yourself so short that you find yourself in a very, very compromised position. So yes, numerically, you can argue that the majority of signings, it's it's fairly even in terms of hits and misses. But what I would also say about that is the large majority of misses are actually more towards the start of Arteta's tenure. So your Cedric, your Marie, your Willian, you know, players like this, your Runnersons, you know, these are players that tended to come in more towards the start of Arteta's tenure. And as we've gone further through Arteta's tenure, that's when we've started to get more hits than misses for me. Um, And it's kind of outweighed the numbers and it started to balance things out a lot more. So I'd argue the longer he's been here, the more likely is that we we make good signings. We we haven't even talked about Jury and Timber because we haven't been able to do that because he's not been here. But he's looked to be and looks like he will be another hit on the list, of course, depending upon how he returns from this injury. Uh, Fuad says, Tom, who's your first target in the summer? Mine would be Pedro Neto. I think it's got to be the centre forward. Um, The centre forward in the summer has got to be the marquee signing. Who that is, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to know what we will see um, in terms of of a centre forward because I don't think Ozzermen will happen. Ivan Tony appears to be a, a real potential option. How much he costs is another big question. Um, but I think he's a very gettable player. The question, I have lots of question marks, you know, about Ivan Tony. I hope he proves them all wrong if he indeed does arrive at Arsenal. So that's that's worth it. Um, let's go to, boom, boom, let's scroll up a little bit more. Front yard says, Tom, for me, it's the other way around. 
Um, the Leicester goal should have stood and this one should have been disallowed. Uh, watch them back because the level of impediment were very lucky to get the goal. Interesting. Okay. Well, I'll give it another watch this morning. But, uh, I mean, the Leicester one, he literally holds onto the keeper's hand and stops him from jumping. So, unless I've really missed something key in the goal from yesterday, uh, it's interesting. <laughs> it's very, very interesting indeed. Um, let's go to Magambo says, one thing is for sure the Enketia project has failed. We need to get a better striker than Jesus. I actually disagree with this because I think the Enketia project is not over because I think a big part of the Enketia project is the sale. I think the sale is a big part of the Enketia project and one of the reasons why we renewed his contract. So until we see how much we're able to sell Enketia for, I don't think we can say that it necessarily has failed because we had to re-sign him, in my opinion, to a new contract because we could not afford to bring another centre forward. He renewed his deal. We put him on a, a wage that is reflective of a second striker at a big six club in their mid-20s, which is what we did. So the £100,000 per week, which people cry about, is nothing to cry about because it's a, it's a very normal wage bracket for a player of his age, in his position, in his state, in, in terms of where he's at in the club of being the number two striker for a club like Arsenal. So there's no point crying over that because that is just how much players get paid at that age, in that position, in that club. The big part of the Enketia thing as to why we renewed him is because, of course, being a Haling graduate, any money we get from that sale is going to be really important for us during an era of profit and sustainability restrictions. And that's going to be key. And Natnail raises a really important point, is that Enketia massively has developed under Arteta, under limited minutes, and now his value is peaking. How can that be argued to be a failure? And he's now an England senior international, it's worth pointing out. He's, a, he's developed to the point under Arteta where he's got into the England national side. And if we do sell him, that has definitely increased his value. So if we, ever, we do move, if we ever do move him on, I would be expecting around that £30 million figure. And if we can get around that £30 million figure for Eddie and Ketia, then Arsenal would have done exceptionally well in their terms of their business with that player and in terms of how it works and the profit and sustainability and how it affects our spending in future windows. So... That's where I sit with Nketiah. I don't say we can say that that decision to renew his contract has failed until we see how he is moved on in the summer. I answers, but Tom, is it not going to be difficult to sell Eddie if he is playing, if he's not playing consistently? Also, I think um, the sales are related to how successful the club is and we have some moderate success with the Champions League and the FA Cups um, as well. I think, obviously, it's related to how we sell him and how successful that is and how easy it is. In January, very difficult. In a summer transfer window, it's going to be different because, obviously, that's when teams have got more money and more freedom to spend. It's going to be when clubs have lost potentially strikers and they're on the lookout for a centre-forward. I think Crystal Palace, obviously, are one of those teams. I think that Brentford, if they lose Ivan Tony, will be one of those teams, depending on what happens with Ivan Ferguson at Brighton. You could see Brighton coming for Eddie and Ketia. You never know. I think there's more scope for him to move in the summer. But let's wait and see what happens in that regard. Uh, Hussein says, I'm worried about how we'd be able to sell Eddie for a decent amount of money because of his wages when you consider the level of clubs that are interested. Again, a Premier League player who is a centre forward that would be starting, which is what Nketi would be doing for a Brentford if Ivan Tony was to leave. It's what he would be doing for a West Ham if he was to move there for me. It's what he would be doing for um, a, a Crystal Palace if he was to move there. Those players, a starting striker in the Premier League in their mid-20s who is bought for 25 to £30 million pounds, is going to be on that amount of money. So Hussein, again, I think we are over-exaggerating the wage that he's on and how that reflects upon strikers in the same position at those clubs. I really don't think it is anywhere near as bad as what people make it out to be. Um, Eddie said, uh, Emery says, Eddie has eight goals and assists this season. That's really not bad for a squad player. And surely if he wasn't the second choice, more on Arteta, by the way, and was further down the line, no one would be complaining about it. Omar says, why do we stop playing better after a second goal lead? Uh, Crystal Palace being uh, bad didn't punish us for that. And when we weren't, when we went on to score some uh, more goals, we let teams come back in. Yeah, we could be, be more. Could we take the onus more? Could we put the pressure on more? Arguably, we could. Um, but um, ultimately, we came out of a 5-0 win, so I'm really not looking to uh, <laughs> to have a conversation about complaints about performances yesterday. Um, we won 5-0, and that's what's really important. Um, anyway, we're going to end the show there. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. Uh, we may have a phone-in show. Well, actually, I'm sure we will have a phone-in show in this week coming up, so make sure you keep your eyes peeled for that. 
Um, have a fantastic rest of your Sunday. Apologies that the internet, I think, has gone a bit weird towards the end. I may be a little bit blurry on the screen right now. I can see I've got a Wi-Fi symbol coming up in the corner. Um, thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. Do drop a like on the video and subscribe to the channel if you're new around here with those notifications turned on so you never miss a show. Have a fantastic Sunday and rest of your weekend, and I'll be back with you guys tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. to round up all the latest Arsenal transfer news. And as always, stay safe, stay well, stay happy, and up the Arsenal. It's the 90-plus minute. All your mates are out, and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go, and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18+, plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.